Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Well, today in the show, we're going to talk a little about some foliar crop diseases, especially in wheat. But when we start talking about foliar diseases, there are a lot of ways that you can reduce the harm that they do. We will discuss that all throughout the show today. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm right now, just give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So I will, I will say this. It's not even officially the first day of winter yet, and I'm already sick of the cold. We don't I, even have snow yet, Brian. I know. So we are, our heritage is mostly Norwegian, but then also Swiss. And so, you know, obviously coming from those countries, those people were cold. Uh, they moved to a cold area of the United States and I don't know how they did it because <laughs> we have all these creature comforts today. You know, I step into a pickup that's warm. I have heated seats. I never use them, but I have heated seats. I have a heated steering wheel even. You know, there's great heat in my house. And I mean, just think of how difficult that would have been for the for the settlers. And, you know, I, I just think we take so many things for granted that we actually have that so it allows us to better survive in these these cold conditions. But I mean, just seriously, in general, just think of all the advantages that we have to manage our farms today. And with wheat diseases, foliar diseases in general in any crop, I mean, just think of all the opportunities you have now and all the knowledge we've gained in the past about these diseases and how we can make things better. And so I would start with this. I don't care what crop it is. We always want to look for varieties that have tolerance to the diseases that are in our area. Plant breeders continue to do a better job with all that. So, I I mean, that part's great. But unfortunately, when you think about wheat especially, just consider the type of environment that they have to grow in. You got lots of plants thick crop canopy, even right away early on. I mean, walk out in a wheat field sometime when it's small in the morning and it's wet like all the time, at least throughout our entire region. And we're considered a dry region of the United States. So I'm I'm just saying when you've got that dense canopy, not a lot of air movement, lots of moisture hung in there. I mean, conditions are just ripe for disease. So even the very best varieties that can tolerate diseases still have some issues. So beyond that, we talk an awful lot about, hey, have good drainage. That's a real big key. Then make sure you're balancing your fertility. We talk about it almost every day on the show here. We get questions all the time. And if you have soil tests you'd like us to take a look at, we'd be more than happy to do that for you. But you got to balance that soil fertility and have ample fertility out there. When you do that, then your crop is just more tolerant to all diseases. It's the same exact thing in human health or in livestock health. You want to have a good balance of nutrients and now you're able to tolerate more of those things that are thrown at you. And then finally, when we talk about fungicides, it's not just the foliar fungicides. It even starts with seed treatments. If you start with a great seed treatment package, then post-emerge, hopefully you have fewer diseases showing up. So anyway, we'll talk about foliar diseases, especially in the crop wheat, all throughout the show today. But right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. 
bag. All right. Get some soil tests, Brian. Let's start off with that. This is from Hunter, and he said, I'm just curious what your plan of attack would be on this farm. I'm looking to get some variable rate liming done still yet this year, and then thinking about running an aggressive build on potassium. Just curious what your thoughts would be. Well, my first thought is well, you the don't... word aggressive there, and you're asking Brian, I would say you're already on the right page with him. Yeah, but the first thing that got mentioned was variable rate liming. You don't need much lime. This was one of the driest falls that we've ever had. It was the driest on our farm, uh, even drier than than 2012. We actually had some late season moisture in 2012, so that was that was wetter in the fall than this year was. Anyway, here's my point. When you do soil tests, it's very common to see the pH read maybe one to two uh, tenths of a point low. If that's the case, if that's true, and I don't know if it is on your farm, maybe you had rain, I'm not sure. I don't see anything that would be below six. So I don't know that I'm doing any lime. What I am going to do is I'm going to put on P and K. Your P and K levels are really, really low. So I would get that taken care of. P and K is where your first dollar should be spent. Then I don't see micronutrient levels, manganese, iron, copper, boron, we're not even tested. I would really encourage you to find out what those levels are because those things could be holding your yield back. They really could. I mean, P and K is first. And at the levels you're at for P and K right now, that's what's holding you back. But as soon as you fix that, which you can do in one shot, then all of a sudden you got to start looking at these other things. Just for example, sulfur, a lot of three part per million levels. Well, that's just not going to cut it. You need a lot of sulfur. I mean, I'd like to see those levels way, 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 way higher. Uh, zinc is low. And again, I would look at the micronutrients. But I would take all this money that you were talking about for lime. I'd put it all to PK, sulfur, zinc, and possibly some micronutrients. At least I'd be doing some testing. Hey, thanks. Really appreciate the, the question there. Get this one from Diego in Argentina. And he said... First of all, thank you for answering my questions. I really appreciate that. It helps me a lot. And when you feel sad or angry for some of the stuff going on in your country, just remember my government takes away 33% of our bean price. For every three trucks that we produce, one goes to the government. I hope I cheer you up with that fact. No, Diego, you don't cheer us up with that. We don't like that. We don't like taxes. We don't like uh, all those kinds of things, but I get it. You got some of those things are necessary to keep a country running. But yeah, it does get frustrating when, when you don't get to keep all of what you produce. No doubt about that. Uh, thanks for the questions, Diego, too. So far uh, this month, it's been really fun taking a look at what's going on with your crop in, in Argentina. Today, we're talking about foliar diseases in wheat. And this is the same around the world. It's been fun. Brian and I have gotten a chance to do some traveling around the world. And yeah, there are a lot of these same challenges that we're fighting here in North America that we're seeing other places too. We'll build on, on that discussion as we get going on today's show. And we'll take your calls and questions as well at 844-44-AG-PHD. It's about time. Applied at Planning, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient Flutriophil moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind in-furrow Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. 
Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Each year brings new and unique challenges to farming, and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them. That's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions, microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly, partnering with microbes for human benefit. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Goose deck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're really excited. We're going to talk about foliar wheat diseases. There are a lot of things going on out there, a lot of different solutions, too. It's been really exciting seeing seeing uh, some of the fungicide work that's getting done. And, and also, Brian was talking about just the tie between everything else that's going on in the field, whether it's a drainage problem, a fertility problem, an insect problem, those kinds of things that a lot of times open the door for some of these wheat diseases to either get into the plant or, or become even a bigger problem. So we're looking for your calls and questions along this discussion today, 844-44-AG-PHD. But we're going to start off talking to, to Bob Hunger down at Oklahoma State. Bob, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Oh, glad to be here. All right. So we're talking about foliar wheat diseases. What, what kind of year did you have in Oklahoma, and what are some of the things that you're always on the lookout for? Uh, well, this you know, typically the the – foliar diseases we look for the most is uh, leaf rust and stripe rust and then a little bit of powdery mildew and tan spot. This past year, we kind of had a mixed bag of that and a lot of other things, too. And there's a fair amount of uh, fungicide used, uh, but it was it was kind of erratic across the state. There, uh, it, there were some places that stayed fairly dry and didn't have a lot of disease and some places it came in late. It was the first year that uh, in my trial uh, here, foliar fungicide trial, that I was able to rate septoria, leaf rust, stripe rust, and powdery mildew all in the same year. Wow. Well, you know, this is the challenge too on our show is, is we often are talking to folks like yourself, Bob, who's trying to do research and yet every farmer out there is rooting for no disease. We hope your trials don't turn out to show us anything. Okay. So you had a plethora of diseases to look at this year. What what are some of the things you learned? Well, uh, some of them, it, it again had to do a lot with when they came in. Uh, in the foliar fungicide trial, uh, the 
leaf rust came in uh, fairly late. Uh, I, I would say that it was uh, getting close to the soft dose stage. And usually if you get into dose stage when the foliar diseases come in, they're not going to be quite as damaging. Of course, septoria came in quite a bit earlier, but that was mostly uh, hitting the lower leaves in the canopy. So it did some damage, but not a lot. Uh, stripe rust, pretty much the same thing. It came in earlier and did some damage, but uh, it usually gets too warm for that to carry through. But then powdery mildew got up fairly high on the plants, and we don't have a good handle how much damage that can cause. We've always kind of felt down here that it needs to at least get up on the flag leaf and heads before it really does some damage, and it didn't quite get up that high. But between all of those, we, we did have uh, pretty striking differences between uh, applying a fungicide and not. And this was one of the years, too, where uh, two applications of a fungicide, a real early application about growth stage six or seven, when that uh, first node and second node are visible, uh, increased yields about nine or 10 percent over the, the early application or the late application, single application. You know, it's interesting. We never know how this is going to play out and what the weather is going to do. But when I think of Oklahoma, I think of how hot and dry you can get there. So to me, it makes sense that if I was going to play the odds, I'd play the odds on that early timing that I might see tan spot or something get in. Is that what most farmers do or are most farmers holding out for that flag leaf application? Most are holding out for the flag leaf application and to to put it on and then even kind of watch the disease there and maybe put it on, oh, you know, even before the heads come out if there is quite a bit of rust around. But uh, the exception to that would be those uh, growers that are in a no-till system because uh, there I tell them and I think uh, more and more they are watching and putting down that uh, early application, especially if they've got good wheat. Uh, just because to to help reduce the stripe rust, uh, the septoria, tan spot, and even powdery mildew, because those are the ones that will tend to show up earlier. Problem, though, is, as you know, uh, <laughs> the dang price of wheat just isn't what it needs to be. <laughs> no, it isn't. And, you know, what What do you do? I mean, you just got to manage. You got to get every bushel you can. And I, I, I know there's a lot of strategy about do I cut costs or do I say, you know, I got to have every bushel. So we just focus on what's our best return on investment. And when it comes to foliar wheat diseases, you just can't take a chance that something's going to blow up. I, th- I think about stripe rust, and this is one that we start watching. So we're, we're farming in South Dakota. We're watching what's happening in Nebraska, in Kansas, in Oklahoma to see, hey, is that stripe rust moving this way? Is it moving early? What do you do with the stripe rust? Is that something that can overwinter for you, or is it something that has to come up from further south? Typically, it has to come from from further south. There's some old research that was done back in the 50s and 60s that showed that stripe rust uh, will overwinter up to about the uh, uh, Texas-Oklahoma border, uh, whereas leaf rust uh, can can overwinter uh, in Oklahoma. Um, so, you know, the, the stripe rust is not something that we've had to worry about. There has been some thought that, of course, the winters have gotten more mild and maybe the fungus has adapted a little bit so that it, it can overwinter. Uh, I mean, I've seen it in Oklahoma as early as, uh, as early February. So that's kind of still in winter, although not the dead of winter. But uh, we definitely watch and see what's going on to the south of us, too, except that's just one state in our case. 
Well, it's a big state, though, that's south of you. So yeah, it is. <laughs> at, at least you got that going for you because, I don't know, by the time you get all the way through Texas, maybe it isn't a whole lot different to get up to South Dakota from there, it seems like, anyway, when you're driving yeah. it. Uh, we're talking to Bob Hunger down at Oklahoma State. Uh, Bob, any last thoughts you got? We're talking about foliar wheat diseases. Obviously, you could talk all day on this. Yeah, uh, well, you you are right about uh, watching to the south of you because I have seen times where stripe rust came in real late here in Oklahoma and did not do much damage to us because we were so far along. But then in that same year, uh, especially if you got into central Kansas and then into Nebraska, stripe rust did become a big issue. And I'm, I would imagine we probably had quite a bit to do with that. So looking to the south, seeing what's around is important. And then don't be afraid to spray. Like you say, it's it's not just the yield, but it's also the quality of that yield that's helped with that foliar fungicide application. Great advice. Uh, thank you so much, Bob. Really appreciate having you on. You bet. I appreciate you having me. Let's head a little ways north. So Bob was talking about watching south of you. Well, we got Nick up in in Saskatchewan. Definitely watches what's going on to the south. Nick, how are you doing? Oh, not bad. You good? Good, good. Okay, so we're talking about foliar wheat diseases on the show today. What do you see up in Saskatchewan? Are there a few that are are a challenge year in, year out for you? Uh, Probably just a a bit of leaf disease, but fusarium, we're always on the watch for fusarium. So basically why we spray our wheat every year, just if you don't, just don't want to get the fusarium, I guess. You know, we're kind of looking at, at two opposite sides here, the same coin. So we've got uh, Oklahoma that we were just talking about. It can get awful hot and dry down there. So they've got a little different window for when they're watching for things maybe than you are where, where it's it's going to be a little bit cooler up in Saskatchewan compared to Oklahoma. So do you see things like tan spot? Do you see things like powdery mildew becoming problems? If we're wet at the start of the growing season, we tend to add a bit of uh, half-rate tilt with our herbicide just to control that tan spot and early leaf disease right off the bat. So we, we kind of religiously do that. How so about I on don't the, really know anything later on. But How yeah. about on the seed treatment front, Nick? And this is one thing that's been interesting. Uh, I know a number of growers in the Dakotas and Montana, we've seen some pretty good differences with that seed treatment fungicide protecting for the early growth stages too. Are, are growers in your area doing that? Uh, we've seed treated everything basically all our life, and we haven't really not done it, so I don't know if we would notice a difference or, or what, but we just do it as an insurance thing as well, I guess. Just better to be safe than thorough in the end on it. You know, as as we look at, at wheat going into this next season, what are you seeing for wheat acres or what are the intentions in your area? We're going to stay the same as we always have been, just a traditional rotation, I guess, but nothing uh, up or down. The wheat prices right now are, are decent, so they're they're still working for what we need to get out of them. So we're going to continue doing what we're doing for our wheat rotation. Talking with Nick up in Saskatchewan. Nick, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on the show today. Yeah, no problem. See you guys. See you later. We're talking about foliar wheat diseases on today's program. And you may have heard some familiar names uh, like fusarium that Nick brought up there. That's Yeah, we're fighting fusarium in multiple crops. So even if you're not a wheat farmer on today's program, you're going to hear about some of the control methods that we're using for diseases that may impact the crops that you're growing in your area. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe next spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed treatment from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking to have your seed pre-treated with Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. When it comes to competitive herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Weedmaster, Patriot, and Diablo for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. New Farm's here to help. Have resistant weeds invaded your cornfields? Tough 5EC, manufactured by Beltram Crop Protection, can help. When added to the post-emergence tank mix, Tough 5EC synergizes the effectiveness of HPPD inhibitors on key broadleaf weeds. In fact, university field trials have shown 5 to 30% increased control of herbicide-resistant Palmer amaranth and water hemp. Now that's tough on weeds. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5EC or visit BeltramUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Talking about foliar wheat diseases, and oh, I wish it was warm enough right now. We could be out spraying for some foliar wheat protection here, but but it's not. It's a little cooler, and we're thinking about a lot of things going on. There have been a number of fungicides that have come down in price. There are tons of programs out there. It's kind of an exciting time as you're doing some pricing around for crop inputs and possibly spending some money on inputs before the first of the year or right after looking for the best deal, you're going to find fungicides are a little more affordable in many cases this year. So that's kind of exciting news, especially when you think about controlling diseases in wheat. We've got Andrew Friskap with us right now uh, up at North Dakota State University. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Good. Well, I wanted to say NDSU, but Brian always gives me a hard time. He's like, don't say 
NDSU, say North Dakota State University, because there might be people in other parts of the country that don't know exactly what NDSU stands for. Well, North does not mean you're not going to have disease. In fact, uh, it certainly is a state that does fight disease, even with the diverse crop rotation a lot of farmers have. Uh, So really excited to have you on today, Andrew. What diseases specifically are you most concerned about in the state of North Dakota? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I kind of break these down to those diseases, foliar diseases we see every year. And I like to think of the ones that we're married to, and that's the tan spot and the septoria complex that we see every year. But honestly, the one disease that I'm most concerned about going into next year is bacterial leaf streak. Okay, now I love it. The first curveball today. So now we're talking about a bacterial issue, not a fungal issue. So for many farmers, it's, well, talk to me about what fungicide I can use. You can't use a fungicide to protect against bacterial leaf streak directly anyway. What what do you do to protect yourself? Yeah, I think curveball is a great question for it. Um, you know, we have fungicides and crop rotation and good varieties that can manage your tan spot and septoria, but when it comes to bacteria disease, you kind of have to flip it upside down a little bit. Um, variety selection truly is our best management tool we have. There's nothing out there that I would consider to be immune, but there's a lot of good range of uh, resistance in the varieties available. But the question that often comes is, you know, what if I have a susceptible variety and I'm starting to see bacteria in the season, what can I do? And um, honestly, we, we haven't seen much success yet for anything that's worked. We have dabbled in the research with some of these uh, copper hydroxide applications. And although sometimes we do see a response, it's not consistent enough where I think we're in a, we're in a situation where we can have a, you know, a strong recommendation or a strong suggestion on what we can use. So right now, you know, it's kind of enlightened up a, a lot of the winter meetings is how do we get a better handle of bacterial leaf streak, especially in some of the spring wheat growing regions, not only in the upper Great Plains, but also as we extend into Canada. Yeah, I think I think it's I'm I'm so glad you brought up bacterial leaf disease and I think about the coppers. That's we get a lot of questions here about hey, what about this copper product or that copper product? And a lot of times Brian and I will follow up with, well, what's your soil test look like? How much copper have you got? And in many cases, the growers that are seeing some response are seeing really low levels of copper in their soils. That might be something to look at. I, I would say if you're, if you're thinking, man, this is a big concern for me. If you're, you're a farmer and you're listening today, uh, look at what your copper levels are in the soil. Perhaps you could build those levels up because my, my challenge, Andrew, with some of those copper treatments is sometimes they kind of put a little burn on the crop too. Yeah, that's, that's it. I was going to add to that is, you know, when we've been looking at some of these uh, foliar copper applications, uh, we do see some phytotox issues. And sometimes it's heat related, sometimes it's a formulation uh, related. And it, it's something that we need to, you know, kind of figure out before if we have a, an option. You know, the other thing, too, is when we think about bacteria is, and some other products out there uh, suggest some of the biologicals that might have some suppression. And again, I don't know if we have a really strong data set. So, you know, it, it's one of those things that's challenging for a plant pathologist because you're trying to find those field recommendations for a very difficult to control disease. Um, but at the same time, it's, you know, when I put my grower's hat on, it's, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find the best possible solution to help avoid some of these huge yield losses that I've been hearing coming across my desk. All right, we're talking about foliar wheat diseases today. You've got other cereal crops in North Dakota. Are there there are other concerns that you've got going into the 2021 season? Yeah, and if you want to switch gears and some of the cereal crops, I like uh, we have a fair amount of barley acreage sitting up here, and um, 
when we started making that switch to two row uh, type of market over the last couple of years, we do see a tendency of some uh, more uh, more fungal leaf spots. Um, kind of like the uh, what I call the sister in the wheat world, we have net blotch and we have some spot fly issues, and some of our two rows can be pretty susceptible. So there there is those situations where um, using a fungicide type of program to get a management of those type of diseases is important because, A, we may not have that resistance, and we kind of put a lot more reliance on a fungicide application at that point. How about with the crop rotations that, that the growers are using in North Dakota? I know it varies. It's it's a huge – if you haven't traveled, if you're listening today and you haven't traveled to North Dakota before, strongly advise a great state to travel to and see. But it's wildly different on the west side of the state versus the east side of the state in terms of rainfall and just the rotations that growers will use. Are, are there some rotations you're really concerned about when it comes to controlling diseases or ones that you see being more problematic? Yeah, so with crop rotation, I, I still consider one of our cornerstones in our state because we have this crop diversity and we, we were able to uh, rotate out of small grains. And uh, generally where we run into some of our most problems with the fungal leaf spots, as you would expect, is when you have that wheat on wheat or a short rotation away from wheat and there's no-till environments. Uh, but, you know, it, it's surprising when you start looking how much the influence of adding a broadleaf into the crop rotation that would reduce some of the disease pressure we see on wheat. And uh, sometimes they ask me to put a number on it, and I don't know if I can ever put a number on it, but what I think about it is in terms of what the pathogen is doing. Certainly these pathogens survive every year. and We're always going to deal with them, but the farther that they have, or the longer that they are going to have to survive without their host, they're not as strong. They're not as viable. So that's kind of what the element of crop rotation is doing is suppressing some of that, you know, inoculum load that you might see in a field from a disease. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to manage things. And I know oftentimes we'll get a question about a certain disease and we'll talk about, well, this fungicide product works good. But a lot of those cultural things that you can do between tillage and crop rotation and other things, and certainly variety selection, as you mentioned earlier, can really help reduce how much disease or or maybe even eliminate that that particular disease from, from being an issue for you in wheat this year. Talking with Andrew Friskop with North Dakota State University. Andrew, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on any last comments that you've got i just uh, every year i just wish everybody good luck and uh you know uh, i'd like to see the stretch of continue to have good wheat crops and barley crops and uh, hope everybody a good and happy new year thanks andrew really appreciate it thank you all right so just to kind of wrap things up in in talking about wheat diseases obviously you know we mentioned earlier drainage is super important Variety selection is super important, and fertility is very important. So let's focus, and we've talked a little about seed treatments. I just encourage you, use multiple fungicides. If you use multiple fungicides in your seed treatment package, then generally speaking, you're going to be in fairly good shape there. But I wanted to get a little more into the foliar fungicides real quick. So there are three main timings we talk about all the time. Early, basically with herbicide, is one. Two is that flag leaf. Three is it heading. So early on, it's really inexpensive. If you want to go like old tilt, for example, or just uh, generic tebiconazole, you can do that. It's for the full rate of four ounces, it's like $2. But you could also go Nexacor, which is BSF's product that's got three different modes of action for about four and a half bucks for the, for the rate that's recommended when the crop is small. Four and a half bucks for the great, $2 for the okay. 
at Flagleaf, we would tell you, use the full rate of whatever fungicide you want to use, and I would suggest you go with a multiple mode of action product. So you could go Nexacore. If you go full rate of Nexacore, it's about 9 bucks. Stratego, before the rebate at 10 ounces, is around 10 bucks. But with the rebate, you could be way down there into the 3 to $6 range. All depends on the rate you're using and how many other bear products you're buying. Then at heading, I would suggest you run with Caramba, Prasaro, or Miravisace. Those products are going to be in the $10 to $15 range before rebates. $10 to $15 range. And that's especially if you're worried about head scab, Fusarium head blight. Now, if you say, boy, I'm in a drier area. I just don't want to spend $10 or $15. Not too worried about Fusarium head blight. All I have is rust. Well, you can go with the old uh, Folicure. There are generic versions now, $2 an acre for the full four ounce rate. Two bucks an acre, that's it. So I would suggest you do applications at those three timings and then make your selection from there. Well, stay tuned. We'll be right back with more of your questions. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. The only innovation that matters is the one I need. With NK Seeds, their R&D program actually listens to farmers like me. So I get solutions that solve my challenges. With the support to make them count. Because progress means pushing my potential. And success matters. Push your potential at nkseeds.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. 
Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We've been talking about foliar wheat diseases, but we've got a number of Ag PhD mailbag questions that have come in, so we're going to dive back into some of those. Let's start off in Illinois. We've got a fungicide question for you, specifically about white mold. This is from Jay, and he said, I just priced some fungicides out with my dealer. I can get five ounces of Andiamo for less than six bucks, and I can get 24.4 ounces of Acropolis for about 10 bucks. I'm wondering, where does the 10.6 ounces of what is what does the 10.6 ounces of topsin do does it help with white mold does it help with other, yes. other diseases i'm yes. just wondering what what i should do yeah absolutely so you can look at the label of topsin or tolaris or any of those that have the active ingredient found in topsin and it will tell you yep you're going to get suppression on white mold and you're going to get help on a number of other diseases as well the other nice thing is it's a completely different mode of action than you're probably used to using. It's not a triazole or a strobe or an SDHI. So that can be a real advantage. And I'm not saying that Topsin or Tolaris is great on white mold. Don't get me wrong. And especially at that 10-ounce rate, it's going to help a little bit, all right? But when you have it in combination with Domark or the active ingredient in Domark or Hondiamo, then it's, it's not too bad. We've done that the last probably three years now, and I really like it. So if I was going to have, let me, let me just call it. <laughs> so growing up, uh, my parents and grandparents, when they, they would say something is, is really good, they would call it the Cadillac program. So I'll give you the Cadillac program. <laughs> if you want to talk old school, uh, I would say it starts with Endura. I would spray Endura right at R1, right at first flower in soybeans. And I would hit it with 11 ounces. The unfortunate part is that costs like $29 an acre. So you don't want to do that on many acres. It's got to be an acre where you're pretty convinced you're going to have white mold. But this is the Cadillac program we're talking about here. So money's out the window. Uh, oh, and by the way, when you say, well, money's always got to be a consideration. Yeah, it is. But I'll just tell you, like on our farm, we've lost, and this is no joke, in some areas, 90 bushel soybeans went to zero. 90 I've lost 90 bushels per acre. So I can afford to spend $50, $80, $100 if I want to, and I'd still come out money ahead to no end. You see where I'm going with this. Okay, so if you've got white mold really, really bad, this is what I do. Endura first. Then I would consider coming along with ProLine. Uh, you can do whatever you want, but if it was me, I'd probably go ProLine next. Then I'd probably finish with Acropolis and maybe spike in a little bit more uh, Tolaris or Topsin. So that's what I would do. So I get uh, three different modes, actually four different modes of action. No, three different modes of action in total. And then, you know, that's, I feel like I've thrown as much at it as I possibly can. Oh, and by the way, before that, I would spray Cobra like right before flowering. So now I've got four different things. Yeah, lots of different steps to prevent or minimize what's going to happen out there with white mold in your fields. And the fungicides, of course, are, are one final piece. Uh, it's good. We we got a question here from George in Bulgaria. And let's, let's jump into some soil testing here again. He said, all right, I'm going to set the stage for you. I got strip till. I'm, I'm in, in corn and I'm shooting for 200 bushel. 
My six-inch soil tests say that I've got, let's just look at phosphorus for an example here. I've got 80 parts per million in my soil. So I look at your fertilizer removal app. Looks like I need 102 pounds of P2O5 or phosphate, from which 70 pounds is going to be lost to grain and 32 pounds goes into stover. So in my fall strip till, I'm applying 102 pounds of P2O5. I'm, I'm digging in about 10 inches deep with my strip till machine. So after harvest, if I went back to those strips and I pulled 10 inch samples, so I basically looked at everything I had in that strip, I'm expecting that I'm going to have a similar number to what I started with since I put on what I was going to need for that crop. Would you say that stover percentage that the stover used, 32 pounds, is going to mostly be up in the top inch or two of soil? I'm in a fairly similar climate to you. I get about 20 inches of rain, and it can get pretty dry in the middle of the season, which is why I'm putting stuff down with my strip till. Yes. What is left in the stover is mostly going to be in the top inch or two. So there will be some left in the in the roots. There will be some left in the stalk and the leaves and everything else that's left out there. So certainly there will be some of that, the, the roots obviously, breaking down below one inch deep. But keep in mind, the roots are taking a lot of that phosphorus, feeding it up into the plant as that plant is kind of finishing. So... Yeah, what we do a lot of times, just so you know, with strip till, uh, and I'll, well, I'll just take your numbers, for example. Let's say I was using 102 as the total, but only 70 is going for grain. We'll only put 70 pounds out because we figure, well, the other 32 pounds is going to stay in the field. All right. So, so most of the time, that's what we do. That leads into the next question. He said, so I, I've got 80 parts per million of phosphorus, which is the level I'm comfortable with. If I yep. just want to hold it there at yep. this point going forward, would I just apply the 70 yes. pounds for the grain removal? Yep. Or would I need to apply that full 102 no. pounds every year? No, you would not. Just apply the 70. And that's assuming that the only thing you're taking off the field is the grain. If you leave everything else out there other than the grain, you only need to put out that 70. The only thing that I'll, I'll throw out that's going to make this slightly more complicated for you and really for everybody is there will be variance through the field. So we talk about, I, I think he said 200 bushel average, right? That's what this amount yep, of yeah. for 200. Okay. But is your field consistently 200? No way. So you're going to have some areas that might be 240 bushels. Well, in those areas, if you only put the 70 out, you're going to be falling behind. In other words, you fertilized or you put out grain removal for 200, yet you extracted 240. So that's just something to keep in mind. You could start getting some variability if you run with this simply grain removal program over time, unless you're shooting for the high end. So what we usually will do is if I feel like I'm, I'll just use 200 again. If I feel like I'm going to get 200, um, I shoot high. So I'll figure 230 maybe even 250, and I'll figure grain removal for that. So at least on my very good, very best spots, I'm not falling behind. So that's just the way we do it. You can do it, obviously, however you want. All right, thanks for the question there, George. Oh, George had one other. He said, all right, the other thing is about your soils app, the Ag PhD Soils app. He said, I am pulling one-acre grids, and I'm taking seven to eight cores. How far from the center of the grid should I take it? Is a 20-foot radius okay? It's okay. If it's me, I'm doing about a five or 10 foot radius. I want it close. And even 20 is not bad. The thing we don't want you doing is wandering about aimlessly through your one acre grid. And the reason why we want you to, to pick a GPS spot and just 
do a radius right around that is because it's very repeatable. So you could go back 50 years from now and you could pick the exact same spot and you can go right around that. So now we can really track things over time if we want to. Along with that, I like it because now I can match up a yield data point. So we, we put yield to all our soil test points as well. So that allows us to figure out what's really paying on our farm. Are high phosphorus levels paying or are we just as good to do low phosphorus, for example? When I have the data, then I know where best to stick my fertilizer dollars so I can make, hopefully, more money in the future. Yeah, George also made a comment at the end. He said, because my address is located outside of the U.S., I'm not able to pay for services on your app like I would like to. Wondering if you're going to change that or if it's just too complicated dealing across borders. It's pretty complicated dealing across borders. It, it really has to do with the soil going from one place to the next. So when you're from... Um, so we'll have stuff for the United States and Canada, but that's really about it because we just can't get relationships going with some of those soils labs in foreign countries, at least today. But maybe that will change in the future. We'll see. But, yeah, I would would say it would have to be a soils lab in your country. Um, otherwise, shipping soil from country to country a lot of times gets uh, pretty questionable. All right. Thanks for the questions, George. Really appreciate that. And thanks for, for your support, too. All right, I got a question from West Central Ohio that we're going to get to right after the break here, and I thought it was quite interesting. This one comes from Mac, and he sent a bunch of soil samples here for us to look at. Mac said, I'm 25. I've been around the family farm my whole life, farming with my grandpa and my uncle. Unfortunately, my grandpa passed away in August, and my uncle had decided to retire to Florida this year. So I've got lots of questions, and I was concerned that my uncle was not putting much back into the ground. So I took some soil samples. We'll dig into those soil samples and see what Mac found coming up right after this. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with high striker treated nitrogen. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation how you make up for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. 
all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. A history of success means proven performance. But let's call performance what it is. Profitability. And boosting yours, no matter what the season brings, is the goal of DeKalb brand corn. Backed by exclusive genetics, whole farm solutions, and unmatched dealer support. Let nothing shake your perseverance. Ask your dealer how DeKalb brand corn can help you realize a future of performance. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, along with my brother Darren. Right before the break, Darren had said we got an email from Mac in Ohio, and he's a young farmer who was concerned about his soil fertility levels. <laughs> and I'll just say this, Mac, I would be concerned too. When I look at your soil test, it's not terrible. We see much, much worse soil tests than this. But here is where I would spend my money. First of all, it's light to medium soil. So there are just a couple of spots where your pH is below 6. You need just a little whiff of lime, not much, just a tiny little bit. Other than that, your phosphorus is low, your potassium is low, your sulfur is low, zinc, manganese, copper, boron, also low. So you've got a number of things to address. But where we stick our money first is pH, but you're only going to need to spend a very few dollars on that. And it's only in certain spots. Make sure you only get it in the right spots so it does you some good. Then I'm going to focus on P and K. You definitely need P and K pretty much everywhere. So your your potassium levels and your phosphorus levels aren't horrible in every single spot, but they are bad enough that you need phosphorus and potassium everywhere in, is this one field, Darren? I think one field. This is just the first field that yeah, he sampled. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. So yep. yeah, He said his plan was to, yep. uh, to continue sampling and... And working his way through the farm to, yep. to get things built sure. up. Sure. But yeah, you need P and K everywhere. That's a for sure. Now, you also need sulfur, zinc, manganese, copper, boron. So save a few dollars to invest in those. But you don't need you know crazy amounts of dollars for any of that stuff. But get a little bit of that out there. But yeah, to me, P and K is the biggest priority here. All right. Thanks a lot, Mac. Really appreciate that. And I, I know you said you're uh, working on purchasing some poultry litter. And definitely as you do those manure type applications, you get good samples of those. So you know exactly what you're putting out there each time. Uh, I know a lot of times folks will say, well, they had a sample. They took one sample the whole year. And that's what they're telling everybody that the, manure. the, the yeah. manure value is. I'd pull samples anyway because they're going to come. They're probably going to dump a big pile in your field and then come later and spread it out. Uh, I Even though the poultry litter might not smell very good, I would go pull a sample out of that and I'd send it in and see what the, the nutrient analysis is just so I've got a good idea. Thanks for the questions. Really appreciate it. And good luck as you get started here. 
Get this from Johnny. He said, you guys talk about losing yield in corn, and I'm wondering what happens in corn when you lose yield. Just looking for a basic understanding. How many ears does a corn plant normally make? Will plants have no ears? Is that how they lose yield, or do they have smaller ears? What do you normally see? Okay, so yeah, normally we're talking one ear, maybe two, but typically one. And it's not that you're going to lose the ear. And a lot of times it might not even be that you lose the kernels, but you will lose kernel size. You will lose kernel weight. You will definitely lose uh, yield because of those factors. So, yeah, it's possible that the ear could be fewer around, fewer long. But just if every kernel is a tiny little bit smaller, that's a problem. So I, I guess... There are lots of things, obviously, that can contribute to that. We're talking about that every day, everything from drainage or lack of moisture to fertility to weeds, insects, diseases, lots of things. So that's the reason why we have a show here. <laughs> we get to talk about all that stuff every day, year-round. And, you know, it seems like when we solve one problem, oh, there's another problem that pops up. But along the way, we're getting higher yields kind of as we go. So it hopefully is paying the bills, and we're very excited to see a little bit higher commodity prices lately. That definitely should help as we go into 2021. All right, thanks for the question. Really appreciate that. Uh, get this from Faisal in Pakistan. He said, hi, guys. I'm watching your program regularly, and you're really helping me with my corn and wheat production and increasing that in my country. Our yields are still pretty low compared to yours. But thank you very much for the help. Hey, thanks, Faisal. Really appreciate that. I uh, got another one from Jan, and Jan says she's in South Africa. She saw a YouTube clip where where the speaker mentioned there are a thousand very there are thousands of variables affecting corn yield, which can lead to a top corn crop versus an average or poor crop. Just wondering if uh, you have some information about what those thousands of variables may be. I've been watching your farm basics on a regular basis and find them very useful. Well, Jan, we've got other content out there besides farm basics that you can find online. Uh, if you type in corn production and almost any topic in corn, we've got uh, information on quite a few different things. If you have trouble finding things, uh, just let us know, but you can find our YouTube channel and there'd be quite a bit there. Yeah. And keep in mind when they say thousands of variables, it's every last little thing. So every individual insect, very often, I'll, well, like a minute ago, I was just saying weeds, insects, and diseases can be a big problem for your crop. Well, there are thousands of weeds, thousands of insects, thousands of diseases. Okay, so right there, we've got, I mean, all kinds of variables. Plus, you've got weather, you've got drainage, you've got fertility. Yep, there are a lot of things that can affect it, and we're talking about those things almost every single day here on the show and certainly on our television show and everything that we put out there on YouTube and on our website, you name it. Thanks for the questions and, and feedback. Really appreciate that. Got this from Matthew up in central North Dakota. He said, we did a number of plant tissue samples this summer. We also did some plant tissue samples for our neighbors who are using a different fertility program. Our samples came back low in zinc. Theirs came back high. The difference that 
that we're seeing, they're also applying instead of just 11520, they're using some that also has some micronutrients with it, including zinc. And there you go. Now, both of us are putting down a quart of zinc in in the furrow yeah, with yep. our 103040. Obviously, we need to get some more zinc out there somehow, and that's that's what I'm asking. Our soils have a fairly high CEC, and our grid samples are showing one to two parts per million of zinc in our soil and our pH is ranging anywhere from the upper fives to the lower eights. Most of it's in the six and a half to seven and a half. Range. You know what I'd really like to know is how high their phosphorus levels are and how high the neighbor's phosphorus levels are. Here's what we found. When your phosphorus levels get high, then that phosphorus to zinc ratio is different than what we'd like to see. And you just can't get that zinc into the plant, even though one to two parts per million, some people will tell you, oh, that's not a bad level. And putting a quart of zinc out in furrow, that's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. But if you have quite a bit of phosphorus, and especially in a heavy soil, it's easy for that zinc to be unavailable, not getting into the plant, whatever. And I'll tell you this, it's super inexpensive to fix your zinc levels if you want to. And then you can get back on a basically maintenance program, which is kind of what you're doing with this quart of zinc and fur. That's a maintenance program because that's, I would guess, about what you're removing with the grain. Anyway, zinc sulfate, really cheap. So if you want to take your parts per million from one or two up to four or five, it's going to cost you a few dollars an acre. It's no big deal. We've done this in many fields over many different years, and that works phenomenally well. By the way, zinc really isn't going to leave your field unless you have soil erosion. So the zinc you put out there today, if you have enough, I mean, you can have some of that left 10 years from now. And whatever depth you incorporate it to, it's basically still going to be there. It's not moving, just like phosphorus. But I'd really look at your phosphorus to zinc ratio. Usually we're shooting for a 10 to 1. So if you were up at, let's call it 60 parts per million of phosphorus and you like that level and you want, you're trying to maintain that level, then we would normally recommend you would try to maintain about 6 parts per million on zinc. Oh, by the way, copper also ties into phosphorus. I'm not exactly sure on the best ratio. Our research has shown somewhere around that 40 or 50 to 1 phosphorus to copper, but it's something to keep in mind too. Yep, certainly a lot of questions about zinc, and I know a lot of farmers on corn are asking these questions. My my point to, to leave off that conversation with is, all right, if you're putting a quart out, you got roughly two-tenths of a pound of zinc, and that's going to get used up by a 200-bushel corn crop, and then you've got nothing left for your soybeans, and you're going to continue to go backwards or at best hold even. So make sure you're feeding each crop that you're doing with whatever you're going to need for nutrients for those crops or feeding, or have trouble. Or feeding enough over a two-year cycle. Yeah, it's really important. Just look at, okay, what am I going to pull out this year? What am I going to pull out next year? And if you say, well, I only want to fertilize every other year, you can absolutely do that with these nutrients that don't move. Obviously, you can't do that with nitrogen. Nitrogen isn't going to stick around for two years. Sulfur may not either in light soils. If you have heavy soil, it might, but just something for you to keep in mind there. All right, really appreciate the questions. And, you know, it's interesting. Some of these soil questions, Brian, we get a lot of young farmers asking questions about soil tests, but we get older farmers too. So don't think, ah, it's just those guys that are just starting out that can ask those things. No, anyone can ask the questions. Radio at Ag PhD if you'd like us to take a look at yours. Thanks for listening to today's program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD radio.